Good morning, friends. Today's message is called Poking Holes in the Darkness. And my text is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 to 14. I wonder if you would agree with this statement. The church in America has lost its influence. Now, I kind of agree with that statement. I also believe that there are many reasons, but one reason kind of stands out above the rest. And I think the church is is lost or is beginning to lose its influence because Christians have neglected their responsibility to be light in the world. And since we've neglected to be what God has called us to be, the world has decided to ignore us. Now, somewhere I read, the church did the most for the world when the church was the least like the world. Could this possibly help explain our situation today. When Paul wrote to this young church in Ephesus, he knew they were an island of light in a city filled with darkness. I mean, how could that tiny band of believers make a difference in the cosmopolitan metropolis that was home to the world-famous Temple of Artemis? Well, in Ephesians 5, 8 to 14, Paul gives us his answer. He said, you're the light of the world. Live like it. Let your light shine. It will drive the darkness away. I mean, some people won't like that. Shine your light anyway, but others will join you in the light. You know, what worked in the first century still works. In our passage, we see four remarkable results when the light of God enters a dark world. First of all, light transforms. Verse 8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And here we have a rather beautiful picture of conversion. I mean, coming to Jesus is like walking from the darkness into a room filled with blazing light. But once you come out of the darkness, you see things you never saw before. When you lived in the darkness, you did whatever you wanted to do. But now in the light, you must put off the deeds of darkness and put on a lifestyle fitting for the children of light. Verse 9 spells this out for us. It said, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. See, goodness touches how we deal with others. Righteousness involves a new commitment to obey God's commands. Truth demands a deep commitment to live with integrity. So we now have a new goal in verse 10, find out what pleases the Lord. See, no longer can we just say, if it feels good, do it. No longer can we say, but everyone else is doing it. No longer can we say, I don't care what other people think. Friends, we're we're not free agents making up our moral choices as we go along. Christ followers believe something stupendous that the world does not understand at all. We believe there's a God in heaven who has spoken, that his word is authoritative, and that he has the absolute right to determine our moral choices, which includes what we say, what we drink, who we have sex with, how we conduct our business affairs, how we spend our money, and all the other choices we make in life. To be a child of light means that you pray every day, Lord, show me how I can please you. Now, after 75 years as a Christ follower, I've concluded that nothing matters as much as this. If we truly want to please the Lord, we'll find a way to do it. However imperfectly we live and how many times we fall short, God will help us if we truly want to please him. Well, second light exposes, verses 11 and 12 said, it has nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. <clears throat> in other words, some things shouldn't be mentioned in public. And no doubt Paul has in mind the various rituals that were associated with the Temple of Artemis, which is also Diana, located in Ephesus. Considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, it drew worshippers and tourists from many different lands. 
Temple rituals combined overt idolatry with every sort of sexual excess. When Paul speaks of things done in secret, he describes evil that is gross, unnatural, perverted, various acts of sexual immorality associated with the idol worship at the Temple of Artemis. And yes, friends, the light of the gospel exposes evil for what it really is. Now, let me illustrate. I mean, if you're planning to buy a diamond ring, you want to view it in the brightest light possible before you make the purchase because light will expose the hidden flaws in the stone. Shadows hide the flaws, but light reveals them all. Similarly, when the good news of Jesus Christ enters a family, the hidden secrets will be revealed. When the gospel invades a community, corruption will become will come to light. I mean, that's what, what, what we must take Paul's warning seriously. We must not mess around with the evil, make jokes about it, or laugh it off. Christian author Warren Wiersbe had a good word at this point. He said, be careful how you deal with the unfruitful works of darkness. Now, the motto uh, today seems to be, tell it like it is. And yet that can be a dangerous policy when it comes to exposing the filthy things of darkness, lest we unconsciously advertise and even promote sin. I mean, Paul issues the same warning to the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 1. He said, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. See, in our, our great desire to help the hurting, we sometimes ignore that last phrase. I mean, Satan is tricky. He knows that if he can get one person trapped in sin, he may soon get another and then another. That's why doctors wash their hands so often. Not only must they avoid giving germs to their patients, they need to guard against receiving germs from the patients. Now, in our attempts to help others, we must be careful lest we start making excuses or offering rationalizations or avoiding confrontation and letting sympathy replace truth. Verse 13 describes the result of this ministry of reproof. It says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Another Bible translation puts it very simply, light exposes the true character of everything. You know, it's not hard to understand that principle. I mean, when a little kid cries in the dark room, his mother turns on the light, and the tears quickly vanish. The coming of the light shows him that there is no reason to be afraid. I mean, the monsters of his imagination vanish when mama turns on the light. Now apply this to the spiritual realm. I mean, sexual sin often seems pleasurable precisely because it's done in secret. But let those emails and text messages be made public and suddenly the romance fades as light enters the room. A wise counselor friend of mine tells her clients, you're only as sick as your secrets. In other words, you can't get better until you begin to tell the truth to yourself. If you live a double life with one foot in the light and one foot in the darkness, you're going to be forever torn, double-minded, unhealthy, because your heart is divided. We shouldn't be surprised when some people resent us for shining the light of God's truth. I mean, who are you to judge me? Well, I'm nobody. I, I have no standing to judge anyone. But God calls me to shine the light of his truth and let it judge the human heart. Remember, the word of God is like a double-edged sword. You can read about that in Hebrews 4. 12 and 13. It cuts through all of the nonsense, it exposes all of the lies, it reveals everything, it lays bare the evil in every human heart. But it hurts to be cut with a sword. And it's no wonder people don't like strong preaching. It's no wonder we get such strong reactions sometimes from other people. It's no wonder they label us as reactionary, fundamentalists, bigots, hate mongers, you know, all the rest. Now, I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. The truth hurts and it's going to hurt you before it heals you. This applies to Christians just as much as it applies to anyone else. 
The same light that exposes the evils of society exposes our own hypocrisy, our own secret sins, our own pride, sinful ambition, our love of money, a need for power, all the hidden idols of our heart. The last phrase of verse 13 suggests that light has transforming power. The Phillips translation puts it this way, it is even possible, after all it happened to you, for light to turn the thing it shines upon into light also. See, first light penetrates and scatters the darkness. Then it illuminates the hidden evil. But then the light begins to change the very thing it shines upon into light itself. I mean, darkness can only produce more darkness, but light can turn the darkness into light. See, when God turns on the light in someone's life, the darkness is gone forever. I was tempted to use Kanye West as an example today, but I'm going to go back to an old country singer instead, Hank Williams. Hank Williams, this is Hank Williams Sr., captured this truth when he sang a familiar old country gospel song. Uh, part of the song says, I wandered so aimless, life filled with sin, I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Well, third, light awakens. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's verse 14. <clears throat> now, some people have called that verse the Bible in miniature. Because Ephesians 5.14 and John 3.16 both contain the essential truth we need to know about salvation. This verse calls for something impossible when it says, rise from the dead. <clears throat> After all, Paul himself has already said in Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. So how can a dead man rise from the dead? Isn't it like talking to a corpse and commanding it to stand up? I mean, what would we think of a man walked into a mortuary and started telling the dead people, wake up, you've been dead long enough? I mean, such a man would soon be carted off because we all know that dead people just don't come back to life on their own. A man who's dead cannot raise himself. He, he needs to be quickened. Uh, the life-giving power is extraneous. It's outside. It needs to come to him if he's to be alive. When the light of the gospel comes in, it wakes up the spiritual, spiritually dead and draws them to Jesus. Now, that's conversion or salvation. That's new birth. That's the life-transforming power of the gospel when Jesus comes into a life. This passage shows us what happens when the light of God begins to shine in a dark world. First of all, the light shines on us and transforms us from darkness into light. See, in the process, that same light purifies us on the inside so that we can seek to please God in everything. And second, the light shining through us chases away the darkness and exposes the evil done under cover of night. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but people love darkness rather than light. John 3.19 tells us so. They often fight against the light of God. But when the light does its work, it contains within itself a healing power. Because the light comes from God, it can take the darkness and turn it into light. We know this is true because that's what happened to us. And third, the light awakens those who are asleep and raises them from the dead. This is why Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. He preached boldly in the very heart of the ancient world, in Corinth and Ephesus and Athens and Rome. Paul knew that when the gospel shines on a society, the light will expose some people and make them mad. But that same light will awaken others to their need for Jesus. When Robert Louis Stevenson was a young boy, he was sick much of the time. He couldn't go out and play like other kids, so he spent a lot of time watching at the window. And it is said that one evening as he sat, he watched as a man came down the street lighting the gas lamps. 
His nurse said to him, what are you doing? And he said, I'm watching the man knock holes in the darkness. It's kind of a beautiful picture. We're called to knock holes or punch holes or kick holes into the darkness in Jesus' name. You know, friends, I think in this day and age you and I live in, we're facing a magnificent opportunity. I mean, earlier I talked about the moral decay all around us. I mean, but don't worry about it. The darker the light, the brighter, or darker the night, the brighter the light shines. It's precisely when the world is at its worst that the people of God should be at their best. Yes, we were made for times like these, but let no one be deceived. It's not going to be easy. The world doesn't want the light, but it desperately needs it. Now, friends, we aren't called to save the world. Only God can do that. But we are called to make a difference. We can't do everything, but we can do something. What we can do, we ought to do. So how about it? Let's go knock some holes in the darkness this week. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.